Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and a very warm welcome to another episode of the Lizelle Wellbeing Show. Now today I am joined by Jay Shetty, a best-selling author, podcast host, purpose coach and former monk with a social media following of over 35 million. Yes. Now he is joining me down the line from his LA home, but he was originally born and raised in North London where he studied management at London's Cass Business School. Now, Jay's life would change when a friend asked him if he would go with him to hear a monk speak. Jay was captivated by the monk and followed him around the UK for the remainder of the talks that he was giving that week. When he then graduated from college, Jay promptly traded his suits for robes and joined the ashram, where he learned to meditate for hours a day and study the ancient scriptures. Today, Jay is married and classes himself as an ex-monk. But Jay's just as passionate about sharing what he learned during his time in Mumbai as ever before. He's sharing ancient wisdom with the masses through his chart-topping podcast called On Purpose and his recent book, Think Like a Monk. We had a fascinating chat about why developing a monk mind can help us navigate modern life, the benefits of meditation, and why finding purpose is just so essential for human happiness. So without further ado, let's dive into this week's show. So Jay, it is so great to be able to chat long distance here. We're over the airwaves. Thank you very much indeed for being with us. You're in LA, is that right? That's right. Thank you so much, Liz. I'm so grateful and happy to be here. No, no, you're just, it's going to be a real joy, I think, to hear about your journey. And I so enjoyed reading about it. And what really struck me, actually, was the way that you described encountering a monk for the very first time as kind of falling in love, which is an extraordinary thing, isn't it, for a London city boy. Tell us a little bit about your journey, you know, joining an ashram, becoming a monk. You know, how did that happen? Absolutely. Yeah, I I grew up like any other Londoner interested in all the things you would be growing up in London, you know, metropolitan city surrounded by so many other great cultures, great people, but also very success driven and oriented and wanting to go to a good university, get a good job, do really well, get married, buy a home, you know, the traditional journey <laughs> that I think so many of us set out to go on. And so I wouldn't yeah. say there was anything different about the way I grew up or what I aspired to do. And I was very fortunate at the age of 18 to encounter a monk for the first time. And I was fascinated when I was 18 to hear about rags to riches stories and people who went from nothing to something. And I loved hearing about entrepreneurs and celebrities and their failure stories. I was a big fan of biographies and autobiographies because I loved learning from people's real experiences. And I was enamored by how people could create phenomenal lives for themselves with very little. So I was always inspired mm. to go and hear speakers and ideators. And this is, you know, well before Ted became trendy or anything like that. <laughs> and yeah. and I, I got to a point where I was invited to hear a monk speak. And, you know, I wasn't very interested. I was, I was thinking to myself, what am I going to learn from a monk? And I was thinking, you know, I'm inspired by people who go from nothing to something, not nothing to nothing. And, you know, what, what am I going to learn from a monk? And I almost had that egotistic viewpoint or even if it wasn't 
ego. It was definitely some sort of arrogance and not being concerned with what I could learn from a monk. But anyway, my friends promised me that, and this is what I asked them. I said, if we can go to a bar afterwards, I'm in. And they said, right. we'll definitely go to a bar afterwards. <laughs> so just to give you an idea of where my head, yep. headspace yep. was. And so I commit to going to this event. I show up because I'm one of these people that if I commit, I'm there. I, I turn mm -hmm. up and I go there with zero expectations or very little expectations at least and, and not expecting to, to get anything out of it. And, you know, as, as life goes, the joke's on me where I walk in and I am just completely captivated by the themes that this monk is speaking about. And in the book, in Think Like a Monk, I talk about how, you know, he's, he's, an, he's an Indian man dressed in robes. He's, he's, not, he's not, you know, a young woman that I'd be attracted to in that sense, but I felt the same mm. sort of magnetic connection to what he was speaking about because he was basically saying that the greatest use of our talents and skills are when we use them in the service of others. And wow. I thought, wow, what a, what a refreshing thing because everyone's talking yes. about innovation and building a, the next million dollar or billion dollar brand. And for some mm. reason, that really penetrated into my 18 year old heart. And I just got focused and fixated on him just like I would with any other speaker at the time. And I thought, okay, I'm going to stay behind. I'm going to network with him. I'm going to get to know him. And then I found out that he'd given up jobs at big companies around the world because he went to IIT, which is the Indian Institute of Technology, like uh, almost like the MIT of India. And, mm -hmm. and I thought, well, if he's given up a life that I'm chasing, there must be something that's making him happy. Like, I don't know anyone who's giving up the traditional trajectory to be a monk. But if he has done that, then there must be a deeper reason. And I want to know that. So that was the inception of my curiosity and intrigue. And that led to me spending my summer and Christmas holidays over the next few years while I was completing my degree in London. I would travel in my Christmas and summer holidays to be with him in India and train and just shadow him almost like you would do almost an internship. Yes. And, and I was. So you, you were kind of do, do, doing your internship in an ashram. Absolutely. So I was doing two types of internship. I was interning at finance and corporate companies in London, in the city. And I was also interning almost as a monk, shadowing this, this senior monk. And when I graduated, uh, I decided that I would turn down the corporate job offers that I'd received. This was in 2010. And I decided that I would turn them down and go and live as a monk because I felt that the experience that I would get every summer or Christmas was so deep mm. and meaningful and profound. And I felt that my time was used so wisely in service of others and in growth of myself that I didn't want to give that up. I thought, this is, this is what I want to dedicate my life to. Mm -hmm. So then why did you decide to leave? What, was the, what pulled you back? It's a great question. I, th I think part of Monk's journey, and that's why I think like a monk is, uh, is, is such an important book right now, is that part of the monk journey is gaining such deep self-awareness about who we are, how we thrive, where we'll find our passion and purpose. And I found through my monk journey that I had this desire to share wisdom in a particular way, the wisdom that I was learning. I realized that I enjoyed and appreciated my in independence as well as the discipline that I'd learned. And at the same time, the monks saw that attitude and nature in me too. And they too encouraged and recommended that I would be able to better serve my passion and purpose if I was to leave. And mm -hmm. as wonderful as that sounds in hindsight, at the time it was very difficult because if you think about it, and if anyone's listening or watching right now, just think about being 21 years old. You're born and raised in London. You've got a t you have relationships. You've got friendships. All your friends are going off to work at large companies and doing really well for themselves. And at that point, I chose to become a monk where my response from my family and friends was, what are you doing with your life? Yeah, like, sure. are, you, are you not trading everything that you've worked for? Like, will you ever get married? Will anyone ever hire you again? Like, will yeah. anyone, you know, and all of that pressure. And so when I came back in 2013, I felt like the biggest failure because I'd left with so much courage and bravery. And I felt like I was coming back 
having almost failed at being a monk. And so what, so what, what happened when you got back? So when I got back, I, I kind of came back in, in probably what I would call like the lowest period of my life where I felt definitely, I felt depressed and down and I felt lost and confused because I was coming back to a world that I'd been disconnected from for three years. I, I didn't know who'd won the world cup. I, I didn't wow. know what was happening in the news and I, I'm a big football fan. So Gosh, you know, to me, yeah. like, like I remember being a monk and uh, restricting myself from checking <laughs> who who is winning the World Cup. Uh, but you know, it was such a disconnected Gosh. time for me. I wasn't on social media, so I wasn't connected with my mm. friends in college. So if you think about all those things that we do to stay connected to people that we study with and grow up with, I was coming back to a world that almost felt alien to me, and mm -hmm. I hadn't really stayed in touch with anyone. So. A lot of people were just finding out that I was coming back and they were all asking the same question, like, oh, why is he back? Like, did the monks like get rid of him? Like, you know, like, what, what, what happened? Uh, and, and why is he back? And then a lot of my family was like, oh, well, you know, like, it's so hard to find a job and you're not going to get a job right now. You haven't got any experience. And I remember applying to 40 corporate companies because my parents aren't well off. And I was like, I need to pay the bills. I need to, you know, have a mm. livelihood and take care of myself. And, and I got rejected from 40 companies that I was sending wow. tailored, uh, resumes to because surprise, surprise, no one wants to hire a former monk. Uh, <laughs> so know, what, what happened then? Everyone's like, what if, what's your, what's your, uh, transferable skills? Silence. Yeah. And, 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 stillness. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so I was, I was at one point, I was really at a low point of, you know, where's this all going? What am I going to do? And I used to spend, Every day in the library, I'd go to my local library and I'd spend every day reading, uh, personal growth strategy books, business books, and the books that I'd studied as a monk. And I realized something really, really important that my monk life was like going to school. And when I left, that was the exam. And right. that if I really applied the learnings that I was taught as a monk and if they were really true, then I would succeed at life in the exam of life. And I can definitely say now having left the ashram for seven years, that in the last seven years, I've simply put to the test every lesson I learned as a monk. And anything that I've done well in today has been because of what I learned as a monk. And that's why I put it into the book, Think Like a Monk, because I really believe that thinking like a monk and living in the world is what has given me the opportunity to find my passion, live my purpose, and, and create mm -hmm. a meaningful life. And, and continue it really, to. I mean, it really is an extraordinary story. And you say, think like a monk. So what is a monk mind then? How, how does a monk think? Great question. And, and I think to really understand the monk mind, we have to what's described in both Buddhist and Hindu teachings, what a monkey mind is. So the monkey mind is the opposite of the monk mind, but the mind that we can relate to more. So imagine sometimes your mind may feel like a monkey. It just jumps from thought to thought, like a monkey jumps from branch to branch. It kind of coasts in the passenger seat. It just watches as your life's flying by. It often complains and it compares, like a, a monkey will complain about the size of the banana it has or the size <laughs> of the tree it's on. Uh, you know, the monkey mind overthinks and procrastinates. It's it's constantly worrying and wondering what to do next. Uh, the monkey mind is focused on short-term gratification and the monkey mind is always just looking for pleasure. So when you think about that, I'm hoping that when you're listening to this, I'm hoping anyone who's listening can identify with some of those habits of the monkey mind. Liz, I don't know which ones you identify with or, or any of them. I'm sure. No, completely. I mean, ha having a grasshopper brain that is always hopping from one thing to the next. Yeah. Never living in the moment, always thinking about the next thing. And, you know, I guess where the next banana is coming from, if I was a monkey, <laughs> very much so. Exactly. And I'm, and I'm not calling you a monkey at all, Liz, I promise. <laughs> but we all have monkeys in our minds. And so multitasking, we all try and do everything all at the same yeah. time. So I like to explain that to help explain the monk mind, because the monk mind is the antidote to the monkey mind. And the monk mind is the mindset where, which is best described in my opinion. I've been thinking about this more lately. I, I didn't even write this in the book, but I've been really reflecting on it. And it's the 
beautiful statement said by the Buddha where he said that, he said that don't wait. Sorry, let me repeat that. The Buddha said, don't try to calm the storm. Calm your mind and the storm shall pass. And, Mm. And that is the monk mind. The monk mind seeks to become what it needs rather than to expect it to happen around it. So where the monkey mind is overwhelmed by branch to branch, the monkey mind, uh, the monk mind focuses on the root of the issue, uh, where the monkey mind is complaining and comparing and criticizing. The monk mind is compassionate and caring and collaborative, where the monkey mind is distracted by all the little things. The monk mind focuses on discipline and focus. So the monk mind is realizing that we will never be given the situation that we want externally and so we have to create that if that experience internally so that we can experience it and live it i've i've heard it said actually that we can't change what's happening to us or what's happening around us but we can change our reaction to it absolutely and that's probably the most powerful thing that we have isn't it so i guess that's a similar situation yeah absolutely very similar the The monk mind is looking at it even more proactively and and looking at how we can live an intentional and conscious life. I think for so many of us, it's very natural to just go with the times and sometimes you're wondering, well, how did I end up in this career or yeah. how, did I, how did I end up in this relationship or how did i I end up in this situation and then you reflect and you go, oh i've I've just been mm. doing what my parents thought was a good idea or I've just been doing what I thought. My, my friends thought was a good idea. And, and now I'm starting to reflect. And I think it's Aristotle who said that an, an unexamined life is not worth living. And, and it's mm. almost that same reflection. That's what a monk mind is doing. It is being proactively reflective and saying, no, what type of life do I want to live? What, what type mm. of, what type of life do I want to create? And let me take full responsibility and control of crafting that. And having the habits and the practices that allow one to do that. So what would you say then to somebody listening, wanting to take the first steps to cultivating a monk mind? Absolutely. So I think the first step, and this is one of the ones that I talk about and think like a monk, and I really break it down effectively in the book, but I'll summarize it for for our conversation right now, where I really believe, and this is a common tool that we use anywhere and everywhere, but I don't think we use it enough in this way. And, and it's almost like a time versus values audit. So if I ask you the question, Liz, and I said to you, you know, Liz, what's your number one value? And let's say, and I'm making this up, I'm projecting, but let's say anyone listening says, my, my number one value is I value my family. And Absolutely. that's and, exactly what I would have said. <laughs> great. Yeah. <laughs> Good. And so, so most people will say that. And then if I, if you ask most people, so how much time did you spend with your family over the last week? And people will give me an honest answer. And then when you look at time, you go a step further and you say, well, how much energy did you share with your family last week? And often Mm. what we'll find is that ratio and that proportion gets less and less and less. So our value may be a 10 out of 10. The time we may spend is a five out of 10. And the actual energy we share with them is a one out of 10. So, So an example to make that clear is, it's, it's often I say this to couples when I'm working with them where someone will say, you know what? I just want her to spend more time with me. If she doesn't spend mm. enough time with me or he doesn't spend enough time with me. And I'll ask them, I'll say, well, do you want time or do you want energy? And they'll say, what do you mean? Mm. And I say, well, do you want someone sitting next to you watching a show for an hour and not talking to you? Or do you want someone who for 15 minutes has a really engaging conversation where you share yeah. energy? And I, and I think... Most of us would choose the latter. So doing a time audit is the first way to think like a monk, a time versus values audit. Look at your last week and be honest about how you spent your time and your energy and mm. see whether that connects with what you say you value. Because I know for too many people who say they value their family, but they spend more time playing golf. Um, yes. they, they, they say they value their family, but they spend more time watching TV or watching the news while they're with them. And again, this mm. isn't about, we all have to go to work. So this isn't about how much time you spend at work. It's about what are you doing with that spare time, that that uh, extra time that we all get? And maybe you only get one hour. What are you doing with that hour? So that's the first step. I, 
that that is that's really encouraging because when you first were talking there my heart was sinking thinking oh no you know I, I spend so much time working especially at the moment i think you know many people are struggling having to put extra effort in to keep businesses going etc and other things suffer but actually what you're saying is it's fine not to have the physical amount of time as long as the energy that you put into the time that you have is really valuable absolutely and that's what people around us are looking for people are not looking for us how many times have you gone away for the whole weekend and still felt you want more time with someone mm. you know you you, you, absolutely. you spend the whole saturday with someone and you in your back of your mind you're thinking why are we not and because you're like oh we didn't actually connect we just spend yeah. time together. Being being in the same room is not sharing energy. Being on a phone call without presence is not sharing energy. And it's sharing energy as opposed to sharing time that everyone is so mm. seeking. And so I don't want any parent or any busy single parent or someone who's working three jobs saying to me, Jay, you know, how can I do this? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying where's your presence and attention is are you giving value to the things you say you value and that's the yeah. first thing because the monk's greatest goal is to live in alignment and there's a beautiful statement uh by gandhi where he said that harmony and peace are experienced when what you think what you say and what you do are aligned and right I powerful think, yeah and very powerful and i think for most of us we think one thing we say something else and we do something <laughs> completely different, right? How many times have you thought that in your head? Like you think this, yeah. like, I'm really going to do this. And then you say, yeah. oh, you say, oh, well, maybe I won't have time this weekend. And then, and then you do something completely mm. different. So the first principle of monk living is alignment with, are you living in alignment with what you say you value? That's the first step. Mm. The, the, um, interestingly, go on. No, 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 please go on, go on. I was just thinking about other principles of, of monkdom, if you like. And one thing that we often think about from the outside world is the amount of time that there is for quiet reflection. Yeah. And I was quite shocked to read about the study, the Harvard study that you mentioned in the book, where many study participants preferred to give themselves electric shocks than sit with their own thoughts. Yeah. I mean, why, why is this so challenging for us just to be quiet and, and reflect, do you think? I'm so glad you brought that up. So yeah, that's one of my favorite studies. And in the studies, they ask male and female participants whether they want to be alone with their thoughts for 15 minutes or give themselves an electric shock and wait for it. 30% of <laughs> women chose an electric shock and 60% of men chose an electric 60%. shock. 60%. I mean, and that's over 15 minutes. Over f Just 15 minutes. Just 15 minutes. And so wow. the reason... Yeah, it's a great, it's, a, it's something that fascinates me, that study. And the reason I think is, Liz, is that we've become so good at numbing, avoiding, and distracting mm. ourselves from the root of our challenges, because in the short term, it's easier. And that's that monkey mind again. It wants to hop around on the branches and the leaves, but not think about the roots. And mm. the monk mind makes time for stillness and solitude because it allows for revelation. And I'll explain that in a simple way. How many times have you had it where you really want to say something to someone and it could be a partner or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse or whatever it may be. And you want to tell them something, but you just see that they're too busy, hectic and erratic and they're just running around. Have you ever felt that? Mm -hmm. Have you ever felt that? Sure. Like really want to say something mm -hmm. to someone or even a colleague at work but every time mm. you see them they're just they're just they just look hectic and manic and pressured and they're just doing stuff so we feel we find it difficult to say important things to people that are important to us if they don't have stillness we right. have that same challenge with ourselves how can your body and mind tell you what it's feeling if you're never still with it. So if you don't mm. have that stillness and that silence to really hear your body and your mind, and this is often why sometimes when we're rushing around, have you ever had it where you're rushing around and you're busy and you're moving, and then as soon as you stop, you get ill? I don't know if you've ever had that before. Yes, and yeah, you're absolutely. You're yeah. 
all of a sudden for a week you take a holiday and you get ill on your yeah. holiday and you're sick yeah yeah and why why do we get sick on a holiday we get sick because your body and mind finally got a chance to catch up with what it was trying to feel and so mm. in the same way when we take out regular time and whether it's 5 minutes a day and that's what i was going to get on to next which is the second step of thinking like a monk is the daily habits and the practices that we need to actually live that value and live that alignment but, mm -hmm. but it's, uh, when you give yourself that 5 minutes of stillness and silence a day you give your mind and body the opportunity to share with you how they feel and and be clear with you and this is why oftentimes when we still we find an ache or a pain in our body it's also why Liz and I don't mm. know if you've ever tried meditating before but why when people meditate for the first time they fall asleep and i always say to people if you if you fall asleep when you meditate it is simply your body and mind telling you you need more rest and so it's a very wow. normal reaction because for the first time you're in alignment with your body and mind so that they can actually tell you how they feel that's really interesting and and yes that has absolutely happened to me so i should be listening to my body a little bit more this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Let's talk about negativity, you know, mm -hmm. because you've written a lot in the book about policing negative thoughts, you know, the, the gossip, the judgment about others. Mm -hmm. How does that affect our well-being? And presumably that's something, you know, monks don't gossip, presumably. Well, you're trained not to, and it's, it's hard, you know. <laughs> the, beauty of, uh, the beauty of being at monk school is you get to see all of this in action and try and figure out how to work with it. So, you know, just as <laughs> it's it's a funny world we live in and the mind and the monkey mind is so strong because you know in in our world we may compare how beautiful someone's house is or how beautiful someone's spouse is or what car you drive or how much money you make and monks you know the monkey mind will help monks compare how long they meditate for or how strong that is in meditation or no. uh, or you know like how little one eats or how less one sleeps. And so the monkey mind is so strong that it'll it, find something. It will find something. The, the difference is, is that in the monk school, we are trained to be not just hyper aware, but you're trained to observe so that you can change it. 
Whereas in our default world, we can go weeks and weeks and weeks to continue gossiping, comparing, criticizing, complaining, and, and we're not even aware of it being an issue. And, and, uh, and why is it an issue? It's because when we come, let, let's talk about those three particular things, compare, complain, and criticize. When we compare, if you feel you're better than someone, it means you'll always feel that you're less than someone else. And mm. so the, the feeling of comparison is so, such an illusion because sometimes you got something about someone and you go, Oh, well, at least that's not us. Like we, you know, we did better than them, didn't we? And as soon as you've had that feeling, you have to accept that you're also one day going to feel like, Oh, they're doing much better than I am. Like they're doing yes. better than me. So the comparison plants that seed of feeling inferior and superior consistently, which continuously negatively affects our self-esteem because we're building our self-esteem on the inferiority of others. And you can't build your confidence on putting others down because then it's not confidence. It's just a false sense of confidence. And, and mm. so that's about comparing. When we look at complaining, and complaining has some benefits when it's done, pos uh, when it's done uh, positively. And I talk about that in the book, about how complaining when it's not personal and it's more about learning and growth can actually be a great way of diagnosing and dissecting a challenge that we're going through. But complaining can get dangerous because, you know, we all know the statement, misery loves company. And we all right. just need to complain and create circles of complaining in our life. And complaining gives us an issue for why we don't do what we really want to do. And, and finally, criticism is the same. It's that when we have that critical and judgmental mind, we often reflect that on ourselves as well. So when we're critical with ourselves, we're critical of others. And when we're critical of others, we're critical of ourselves. And so we lose the ability to coach ourselves as well. So I, I recommend in the book with negativity, this, uh, this really cool monk practice called that I call spot, stop, swap. And the reason why I like it is because A, it's memorable and B, it aligns with aware, address and amend, which is how we learned it as monks. And it's this mm. principle of like, let's get into the habit of just spotting when our mind starts to go down that negative road. And let's be honest, how many of us wake up in the morning, Liz, and go, oh, I really hope I have a negative day today, right? <laughs> no, one, yes. no one says that. I hope no one says that. But no one says that. Yeah. No one says, I really wish today's going to be negative. And therefore, if you don't wish for it to be negative, why would you put the ingredients of negativity in that day? If you want mm -hmm. a dish to taste bad, you would put ingredients that you don't like into that dish. But if you want it to taste good, you would avoid those ingredients. So comparing, complaining, and criticizing are bad tasting ingredients. And so mm -hmm. the more you mix them in your day, the more you're going to taste the negativity in your day. And so one of my favorite ways of doing this, and it, I love challenges, is I often ask people to keep a tally of how many times they complain, compare, or criticize in a day. And so often when I'm working with people, they'll do it like, okay, I did like, you know, 10 times on Monday. Now I'm aware of it. I'm like, okay, only six times on Tuesday. Okay, Wednesday, I got down to four. Thursday, I got down to three. Friday, I got down to one. And then on the weekend, I binge complained again and I'm back to 20. Uh, <laughs> but how do, you know, I think awareness, and that's the spotting element. Yeah. Let's just yeah. make a note. And let me ask mm -hmm. myself when I make a note, is this, is this comparing, complaining, criticism making me feel better? Is this really helping me bond with my friend? Or actually, is it making me trust my friend less because what if she or he gossips about me now because I'm gossiping with them? Yeah. So really forming a bond. So that's, you know, that's the spot element. And then stop and swap is stop to every time you have that thought, stop and ask yourself, is this thought useful? Am I really building up a strong relationship with someone? Am I feeling happy feeling this negative thought and emotion? And I'd, I'd say 99% of the time, our answer is going to be no. And then you want mm. to swap it with a positive conversation, a positive a change of uh, mental thought because we're talking to ourselves all day. We say things like, I am tired. I'm exhausted. So why not change it to, I'm energized when, or I am excited when, I'm empowered when, and complete that mm. sense of powerful activity you can do to feel that. 
sorry, I, I think that is. I, I wanted to break yeah. it down. No, I, I, I think it's, you've made it really clear and I think it's really helpful to take a step back and, and listen and absorb that. And one of the things that I have also absorbed from your amazing podcast, which is called On Purpose, um, and I do firmly agree like you do that having a strong sense of purpose is an absolutely vital component of well-being. But why do you think that finding our purpose is so important for overall happiness? It's a great question. It's a, it's a really great question. And I want to start off with the caveat for people that finding your purpose should not be a pressure. And it's not like you have to find it. It's, it's not like something it's, you know, finding a purpose is, is not like doing a treasure hunt where you kind of look, 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 and then you find it and then that's it. It's done. It's a constantly evolving journey and process. And so, don't ever think that if you haven't found it, that you're not on the right path because mm, good point. It's, it's a path. It's not an end. It's not like a, I found the chest. I opened it. There's loads of gold coins inside and now <laughs> yes. I've made it. it doesn't work like that. And I think, I think since we're kids, we're trained to believe that finding something is the end. It's the end of the game when you find the pot of gold. Uh, and yeah. life, life doesn't work like that. There is no end to your purpose. So that's the first thing I want to say to people. And, and the second thing is, the reason why it's so important is because purpose provides meaning to life and connection to others. So the way I describe it is that, you know, your passion is for you and your purpose is for others. So when you use your passion in the service of others, it becomes a purpose. And people often get that mixed up. They think passion and purpose are the same, or they think purpose and meaning are the same, but I really differentiate it here where Passion is when you do something that makes you happy. It, it brings you alive when you do that yes. activity. So you may say photography. So you may say, oh, I love it when I'm in nature and I'm taking pictures or I'm taking pictures of my friends when they're modeling. And I'm, or I, I love, uh, I love interviewing people. That's great. Like I really enjoy researching people. That's a passion. It becomes mm. a purpose when you use it to improve the lives of other people. And I think that's where so many people only do 50% of the work, if that, because a lot of people I yes. are either living their passion, but then they're not fulfilled and they're not fulfilled because they're not using it in the service of others, or they're not even living their passion and they're trying to serve others with something that they don't love. And that's not fulfilling either. So really it's combining passion with service that gives purpose. Correct. Exactly that. Exactly that. And so when you take something that you're good at, and something that you enjoy and something mm. that you're focused on developing and you use that to make someone else happy and make their day. And the beautiful thing about that is that any one of us can help because you may say, well, Jay, I'm, a, I'm an IT project manager at work. Like, how, how do I make that a purpose? And it's like, well, wait a minute. Maybe you realize that the IT project management work you do is creating a product that you don't even know about that your company is working on that is improving lives daily. Or maybe you're going to get more involved with the charity work in your organization where they need IT project managers to make sure that there's clean water in Africa or in another country. Like there are so many yeah. ways of using that skill that you have to improve the lives of people. And I think too many of us think that it, it has to be something beyond or it has to be this really cool app or it has to be our own business and entrepreneurship. And it's like, it can, but it doesn't have to. It can be done sitting at your desk behind a laptop in an office and still change the world. Yeah. Or if you love walking and you can serve others by taking dogs out for a walk that perhaps, you know, their owners can't because of disability or something. I mean, there's always a way, isn't there, of finding oh, I mean, something that you love to help to help others. That's a beautiful example. I love that. And and I couldn't agree more. And maybe you'll take it a step further and you'll have many dog walkers or you'll plan dog parties on the weekend. And, you know, you can go and scale it. <laughs> you can scale it as much as you want. I love that. You yeah, know, you can turn scaling. It yeah, you don't have to. Like you may say, "Jay, I'm very ambitious, and I don't want to stop." Then I'm like, "Yeah, because there is no. You can just yeah. There's so, no 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 limits. Absolutely. Now I know it, towards the end of the, your book, you detail a really simple daily meditation that has visualization and chanting practice. Yeah. Can you share a little bit of that with us? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I and I believe this is the one you're talking about. I complete the book 
by giving everyone what I call the monk method. And Mm -hmm. the monk method is the amalgamation of three different types of meditation that I learned during my time as a monk and the three key types of meditation. So today I feel like it's quite hard to understand what meditation is and what it isn't. And to simplify that, I talk about how meditation, there's three types. There's first of all, there's breath work. So it's when you're focusing on your breath and different breathing patterns that give you that. There's also then the visualization element, which is probably one of my favorites and the most underrated. And the understanding there is that anything that you see in the world was first created in someone's mind. So the car that you drive, the coffee machine you use, the cup that you have in your home, anything that you have or see in the world first existed in someone's mind as an idea. And so if you have not... That's fascinating. Yeah, if you've not visualized it. And so when we think of visualization, you think of it being really like woo-woo and a bit random. And it's like, well, no, it's not at all. It's really practical. You do it every day. You you visualize mm. what you want your birthday to look like. And you visualize what a beach looks like when you want to get away. Like we do that. Our mind does that. So effective visualization. And finally, the power of sound. So what I love about chanting or mantra meditation is that sound has the power to transport us. If you think about it, like when a particular song comes on that you used to listen to when you were first in love, you go back to that moment straight away. It's Mm -hmm. like instantaneous. Or you remember a song that you used to listen to at university, or you remember a time uh, with your parents if they played a particular artist. And so sound Mm -hmm. has the ability to trigger. So the repetition of spiritual sounds and sound vibration has the ability to uplift and connect our minds uh, to higher frequencies. And so I guide everyone in the book through a simple procedure whereby they can practice the monk method uh, very simply in their home or in their office, wherever they are, and, and move through breath visualization and through uh, mantra. And what are the most powerful sounds? Is it is it on vibration and frequency? Is it words? Do we need to be chanting Om? Is that you know the? I'm I'm not very well versed in chanting, so I'm I'm not really yeah. aware of of exactly what it means. To be honest, I'm I'm more familiar with breath work and visualization, but not so much the chanting. Absolutely, great question. So it can be as simple as an affirmation of I am courageous or I am. Uh, I am focused or I am abundant and healthy. These are affirmations. It's different from mm. mantra because mantras are ancient words that carry potency and energy, but affirmations also carry energy because our affirmation every day is I am tired. So change yes. now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that is. That is everyone's yeah. I am exhausted. Oh, that's, I'm exhausted. That's the regular one. <laughs> yeah, I'm exhausted. I say all the time as well. So I'm not. Yeah. I am exhausted. <laughs> I am tired. I am hungry. I am starving. Mm-hmm. Like these are our mm. language to ourselves. So the basic beginning of chanting is changing the language that we are chanting to ourselves. Um, right. The second stage of that with mantra is that, and I use these in the book, there are some beautiful phrases and statements in Sanskrit that come from the Vedic tradition that I share that have the potency and ability to uplift. So one of the examples that you rightly gave, of course, is Om, and I share particular other ones and their meanings inside Mm. the book, whereby people can understand why they would repeat that particular mantra or why they would repeat that particular uh, affirmation. Fantastic. And what kind of benefits should listeners expect then if they're going to make time for this practice? Yeah, I'd say the the benefits that you're going to get, first of all, is stillness and a clear mind. Like how many times do you feel like your mind is just on play and you just feel like, you know, studies show we get like, I think we have like 60,000 thoughts every day and 80% of them are negative. How many of you, you know, yeah. (laughs) How many of you would like to have the ability to just Press pause for a second. Yeah. Almost having like a remote control in your hand that just goes, let's just pause the noise, right? That's the first step that meditation is going to give you a benefit. The second thing that it's going to do is it's going to bring into alignment your body and your mind. And this is something that is so underestimated. Just think about this for a moment. All the pressure and stress 
that you experience in your life is because your mind is ahead of your body or your body is ahead of your mind. And I'll give you an example. How many times do you wake up in the morning and your body goes, oh, I'm so tired, but your mind goes, we've got so much to do today. Let's get on with it. Yes. <laughs> or or yes. you have the opposite feeling. Your mind is like, oh, I, I can't do this. And your body's like, look, we're running around. We're moving around right now. So when you meditate and you're chanting a mantra, you're breathing in and out, you are, uh, you are visualizing something, you are finally bringing your mind and body to the same place. And that benefit of feeling aligned and not feeling the worry for the future or the regret of the past really happens in meditation. And the third and final one is you start to feel like you can really understand frequency and energy of the people around you. And you start to realize who you want in your life, who you need a break from, and and who you want to attract as well into your life. And I think that that's uh, further down the line, but it is an important benefit of being able to really gain that intuition and instinct, uh, which is such a mm. powerful thing. Absolutely. So now, what does a day in the life of Jay Shetty look like? I mean, are you still meditating for hours a day as you did in the ashram? <laughs> great, uh, great question. So yes, I my general schedule, and I'd say this is probably about five out of seven days a week, is I'm up at 6 a.m. So I used to wake up as a monk at 4 a.m. So I now get more sleep. So you're having a lion. Which I really appreciate. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm a big believer in sleep. So I really try yes. and get, and I don't have kids yet. So if you have kids, I get it. You know, um, I'm sorry that I can't extend sleep for you. And I, and I appreciate that. Yes. And I, I think it comes I, back though. It comes back. Yeah. I hear it from my it mentor that it's, it's yeah. a time that you have to take in your life. So this is not reflective for anyone who has kids. Uh, but I, I sleep at like nine 30 every day and wake up at six. So I get my eight and a half hours, which I'm really happy to have. Mm. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. a big believer in quality sleep. And then I meditate yeah, from about six 30 to about eight, eight 30 every day. So about one and a half hours to two hours of meditation every morning. I'm, I'm then at the gym for about 45 minutes. And then my work day begins at 9 uh, a.m. When, when I kick off. And then every day mm. is different. It could be interviews, yeah. it can be shoots, it can be videos. And at the moment, obviously, it's been a lot of digital work, a lot of meetings. Yeah. I'm an extremely busy person. I work every day from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, yeah. And, I, and then I, do, you, do, you, do you take a rest day? Do you have a day at the weekend when you're not, you're not working? There, there were a couple of years where I didn't because I really felt that what I was trying to do needed that dedication. And, yeah. and I always say that to people. It's all based on, and I'm, I'm very honest. It's, it's all about what do you want in life? And you know, what I'm getting to do mm -hmm. every day right now is my purpose. And I really wanted it to work. And there was a time when it took seven days a week to build. And I think sure. I sat back and I just said, Oh yeah, you know, it just kind of happened. It would be, it wouldn't be being completely transparent with everyone. And so mm. I'm at a place in my life now where. I like to take my weekends to rest and refuel, but there was a time when I, I was working seven days a week and that's what it took to create what I was trying to create. Yeah, absolutely. You and me both. Well, what's next for you now after this um, short term and long term? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for the amazing community that I've been able to connect with thanks to my podcast, now the book and the, the video content. Yeah, extraordinary. And, and I just mm. feel really just deeply humbled and grateful that, you know, this is the beginning of decades of work of wanting to serve people. I, I recently launched my uh, certification coaching school. So I saw that yeah. certified and accredited coaching school where we can give coaching certifications to people who want to become life, health and performance coaches. And so mm. I'm really excited about giving people the opportunity to not only deepen their own emotional intelligence, but be that not just for clients, but for their partners, their parents, their children. I believe that the mm -hmm. values of coaching are so much beyond just being a coach. They help us listen. They help us learn. They help us lead. And so I'm, I'm excited about giving people the depth of impact. I think with the videos, we've been able to touch a lot of lives and connect with a lot of people. And I want to give people absolutely the journey to be able to do it themselves too. Great. Great. Well, I wish you very, very well indeed. A huge luck uh, with the book. It's great. And I'm just so grateful that you found the time in our day to uh, to chat with us here. Thank you, Jay. I wish you really well. Yeah, thank you so much. I hope that was good for you and your, your audience and community. And 
yeah, just really, really grateful. Yeah, well, we've all got a lot from it. I'm sure we'll play it and replay it. So thank right. you. Well, thank you. Bye-bye so much. now. And that sadly is all we have time for today. But as always, you can find all the resources that we've mentioned in today's episode over on lizarwellbeing.com, where you can also sign up to my free weekly newsletter. It goes out every Friday and is packed with delicious recipes and treats for a relaxing and restorative well-being weekend. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave me a review on iTunes. It really does help others to find the show. So until the next time we chat, go well. Bye-bye. The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, with production by Amaryllis Earl and Harry Trevithick at Heart Dialogue. With thanks to my producer, Ellie Smith, and guest booker, Millie de la Morinière. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.